The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Previously on The Ascent of Board Games. This month we are here to talk about wildlife games. A photo safari in Ombagasa. Now, do you have to have the animals, like, arranged a certain way, or do they just need to be around the oasis where you're taking No, just have to be around the oasis. Uh, we'll talk about arrangement of animals in specific order later. Mariposas, which is Spanish for butterflies. I guess they couldn't call this Death March Butterfly. <laughs> And still not the most disturbing theme we're going to discuss. Ark Nova, when it originally came out, everyone's like, oh, this is finally the game that, like, fires terraforming Mars from my collection. This game was set up for failure. For me, personally. Right. okay. And now, the thrilling conclusion of Wildlife Games. Frank, tell us about your next weird thing. Miller's Zoo, 2022, published by Randolph, designed by Thomas Dagenet L'Esperance. It's published in Quebec. This game was introduced to Sandy by a professor of wildlife animal behaviorist, hmm. Valerie, if you know Valerie. Oh, okay. And uh, she was just kind of obsessed with this game, as you would. So Miller Zoo is an actual zoo in Quebec, wildlife sanctuary. And there are a bunch of animals on cards, as well as six different zookeepers who are all actual, like, zookeepers at Miller Zoo. So the theme is totally there. And you're basically taking care of the animals and bringing in new animals. Specifically, each round, you get a collection of animal cards, or actually activity cards that represent watering, feeding, brushing, playing with, or, you know, treating medical care to the animals. And then you flip up a number of what animals require. Mm-hmm. And any animals that have that symbol on them will get tokens to represent, oh, they need to be brushed now, or whatever. And then you have to basically collectively play your set of cards to either move to a different enclosure or a different habitat, which have several animals based on that environment, or treat them. And the other option in the game, you can go out to one of several expedition kind of things to bring an animal back, in which case you have to basically pay for that animal using the same tasks. And your object is to, before the deck runs out, basically bring in all the new animals and make sure all your animals are treated. Any animals that are untreated at the end of a round, you just start flipping up cards until they get treated, which can burn through your deck really fast. Right, right, right. And that's the game. It is a legacy game, though. Huh. I'm in. It's a very simple game, but you add stickers to cards to give you extra powers. The difficulty ramps up as you're bringing in animals with more symbols and having to care for more animals at the same time you're running through the deck. And the back of the board actually has a giant achievement track where you sticker it to show which achievements you've made along the way. Kind of a, a very... Uh, badge achievement, you know, kind of mark as you make the game more advanced. There are envelopes containing new cards and things which you open up along the way. 
it is pitched on the easy side, although you can lose as you start getting to the harder setups. But that's it. It's a fairly inexpensive, amazingly themed game that's actually about treating actual animals. And you'll see when you look at the cards that, yeah, those are the named animals. Mm, that's cool. In Miller Zoo. Purely cooperative. Yeah, but are yeah. there multiple difficulty settings? Like, if you find it too easy, is there a sort of It starts out easy. Mode? Per Valerie, they had their first loss once they get to got to game seven. Okay. But yeah, it does. difficulty does ramp up, especially after your first or second game. Mm-hmm. It'll do things like take 10 cards out of the action deck. No. Okay. Or you've got a new set of animals you have to bring in that are a lot harder. And we're about halfway through the game now, and it started making some tweaks. But it's also giving us uh, extra powers on our characters. And it's all kept very simple. Uh, you get stickers in the rules, new rules, and new sets of cards that you can swap in and out. Interesting. I do like the idea that the managers of Miller Zoo just come to you and they're like, everybody loves bears now. Get out there and find some bears, please. <laughs> yeah, totally. For those who don't know about it, the Miller Zoo is an actual zoo in Quebec, which apparently started out as like a wild animal rehab center. Mm -hmm. And then they started just getting more and more exotic animals and then finally got themselves licensed as a zoological garden. Yeah. And it's just, honestly, this couple just started it, and now they have a zoo. I know. Because of all that, it's such a nice game. Mm hmm And, of course, we have Yellow River Local that I'm a big fan mm -hmm. of. Yeah. As that kind of small wildlife sanctuary. Have you been recently? Uh, have not, but... Old Yellow River was a death camp. Under yeah. new management. <laughs> it's under new management, and okay. they're taking good care. They yeah. do seem to have their That's act good. together now. That's good. An improvement. All right. Miller Zoo. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about animals in the wild now. So let's talk about 2022's The Wolves by Pandasaurus Games, designed by Ashwin Kamath and Clarence Simpson. In this game, you're all going to be playing different packs of wolves. Each of the wolves has a preferred terrain, so like... You could have a desert wolf, for example, who prefers the desert. And you have uh, five other tiles that are terrain tiles that are double-sided. It'll have one type of terrain on one side, one type of terrain on the other. And almost everything you do, well, I think actually every action you take in this game involves trying to find matching pairs of the terrain face up and flipping those to do whatever action you're trying to do on that type of terrain. So, for example, if I'm a desert wolf and I want to move my alpha wolf and maybe one of my other regular pack wolves with me. I want to move them from one hex to another. I want to move to a grasslands hex. So I have to have two face-up grassland terrain and flip both of those tiles to take that action. All of the things on your board are the different actions you can take. So you can move your wolves around. You can bring in lone wolves into your pack by howling at them. <laughs> <laughs> you can hunt other animals, if you've surrounded them with your pack, so if you have like three of your wolves around a single prey tile, you can collect that prey tile and, and score points at the end of the game. It's all about the tile flipping, though, because literally everything you do in the game involves having matching sets of those terrain. Right. So let me just clarify this. So basically, if you have your two grassland tiles or whatever, and you need to flip them to do your thing, and there's a different terrain on the other side? There is, yeah. It, so you're it, changing it, the map as you go. You're changing your, your access to terrain types, yeah. 
Yeah, so you have an array of terrain above your board, and it's every time you're flipping it, it's changing what that is. Got it. Yeah, uh, it was a nightmare for me to try and figure out how to play this game. (laughs) I could not conceptualize it because it involves like, you know, that three-dimensional chess where it's like, well, if I flip these two tiles, now these both will be mountains, and now I can take this action. Which will flip these uh, tiles, which on my next turn means I'll have three of this same tile. I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, yeah. can I just kill some wolves or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't plan to have that much. It's, like, yeah. it's a very pretty game. Oh, yes. No, it's the art is gorgeous. It's all top-notch design. Like, the meeples are great, the little wolves. You basically have a number of wolves that you can unlock more by, <laughs> by attracting little wolves with a howl action. But basically, you're moving around this hexagonal map, trying to establish dominance over different full tiles. So the way you do that is you have your alpha wolves, which are worth one point of control. Your pack wolves are worth a point of control. You can establish dens on the board, which give you a point of control. And then you can convert dens that are next to water into layers, which are worth three points of control. And as people are unlocking things on their board by putting dens out on the map, they will be replacing things on the board and placing those on this, what they call this, uh, I think it's the moon. It's the moonlight. Crap. Where is this? On the moon? They go to the moon? They go to the moon. They're the moon wolves now. <laughs> moonlight board. Yeah, it's the moonlight board, which is basically... So now they're werewolves? I don't understand. They're werewolves, yep. They turn into <laughs> humanoid wolves. No. I'm in. So, for example, let's for example, let's say I have my wolves and they go dominate another person's den. I will then take that den off the board, place the opponent's den on the moonlight board, and replace it with my own den. So now I've established you know more control on that tile. But now I've also progressed the game because the game ends when you run out of spaces on the moonlight board and you only score when you hit different phases of the moon on the moonlight board. So there's like three different times you score. Jason, what is that? What's the game with the mechs that we play? It's very similar. Play the game with the mechs? It has the different countries. Scythe? As- You're talking about Scythe? Yeah, Scythe. Yeah, yeah. This seems like a very Scythe. Oh, game. yeah. I mean, it is kind of, right? You have these boards that you're unlocking new abilities and, and more capability as the game goes on. So, yeah. It's like Scythe. There is a element of area control, right? Because you want to control those tiles for scoring purposes. I guess it's Scythe with wolves. <laughs> I think that might be overselling it a bit. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> this one has been on my short list for a while, but I haven't pulled the trigger on it because I don't. There's just something about it that is always holding me back. Is it the is fact it that, that they have alpha, alpha wolves? wolves? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you knew where I was going, Brian. <laughs> Yes, the debunked idea of alpha wolves that doesn't actually really exist in nature. <laughs> it does in this game, though. No, you need no. to be an alpha. And unfortunately, I know exactly where that came from, but mm-hmm. no, that is not it. Yeah, I'm interested in this. You might wind up getting a point out of this. It is very cool. One thing I noticed that is very cool is that, you know, the dens are these little, it's like a cave outcropping with yep. a cave opening. And the cave opening is in the shape of a wolf head. Oh, yeah. You know, howling at the moon. It's very nicely put together. I mean, they really did an excellent job on all the components. Like, it's a top-notch production. Once you understand, like, the iconography, it's all very easy to follow. Honestly, for me, and this is just me struggling with, like, planning a turn ahead of time, mm-hmm. trying to line up your terrain to do the things. Like, oh, I really need to put a den right there, and I need two mountains. How do I get to two mountains? Well, I have to flip this tile and then this other tile. And then when I flip them to take the action, I can have that. No, I just can't do that. I'm just like, what do I have matching right now? That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, you just have to find the Russia of wolves in this game. That's what you have to <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The one that can break the rules. I mean, they do have some ability to kind of break the rules. Like, you can get these tokens 
by unlocking stuff on your board that basically can act as a wild. So that makes it a lot easier because you're sure. just like, I just need to have one tile of what I want and I can spend one of the wilds and do what I want. The part I didn't grasp in my playing of the game was that a vast majority of the scoring is really from the prey tokens. I was too busy like, I'm going to get all my wolves out. Kind of like that really bad strategy in Scythe where you're like, I'm going to get every worker on the board. It's like, oh, don't do that. That's bad. Right. Bad yeah, wolves got to eat, man. Yeah, I did not feed my wolves very well. I did spread them far and wide. They just did not eat. And watched them starve yeah. slowly. Yep. Yep. Yes. They had so many nice dens, though, so they got to die in comfort. That's good. That's. I mean, <laughs> I mean if you're going to have to make a trade. <laughs> so, Jason, do you own this game? I do not. No, I, I played it at a friend's copy. Uh, okay. Yeah. So Brian has to buy it. Now. There we go. I think I might. I think I might <laughs> do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The Wolves from Pandasaurus. Brian's newest game. <laughs> Not yet. Not no. yet. Damn you. You're buying it literally on the call right now. <laughs> I have an Amazon code if you want to use it, Brian. Oh, good. Great. <laughs> oh, wow. I, hold on. The doorbell just rang. I think it just showed up at my house. All right, Frank, what do you got? Ah, that game. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. That sounds enthusiastic. <laughs> so, Wild Serengeti, 2022, published by Bad Comet, which I think is just the whole that is, that is hilarious. Game. <laughs> I know, totally. Designed by Gunho Kim. So, this is a game where you play wildlife documentary teams who are basically filming the Serengeti and filming animals. Kind of in a way, this is kind of a sequel to all photo safari in Omagasa. Mm-hmm. You're basically trying to get groups of animals. In this case, the board is a grid that's seven by seven mm-hmm. with multiple types of terrain. And your action cards you draft or pull from the board. And on your turn, you get two actions represented by, I guess, your key grips who are doing things like moving the animals around or pulling new cards for new scenes that you need to shoot. When you complete a scene, you get points, possibly an action or a you know semi-permanent reward. And then at the end of rounds, there are points at which the animals are refreshed and sent back to, I guess, their, where they actually hang out, <laughs> as well as the award ceremony where you get awards for specific animals which has a weird mechanism around this. It's mostly a majority kind of thing. That's it. I mean, it's kind of a simple hint of worker placement that's not very threatening with, you know, trying to puzzle out what's your best set of moves to be able to get your scene in. It is oddly disturbing to me. Why? Is Why is that? Why? <laughs> the meeples are gorgeous. They're these painted meeples. But the idea, that, you, yeah. the idea that you're documentarious and you've got your key grips moving the animals around no, that's what I was going to ask yeah. you. Steve, like, totally. You just move that lion over there? Did they yeah, just poke him. Yeah. <laughs> I like to imagine that this is like Jungle Cruise, where all of the animals are just <laughs> animatronics. Like, animatronics or like cardboard cutouts. Yeah. But also, I mean, this goes to the extent that there's actually a VFX specialist. Actually, just a counter you can get for some rewards, and that lets you ignore the terrain. <laughs> for an animal's oh he's yeah we're just gonna you know replace that with cgi later (laughs) yeah we'll green screen it out this is just very cynical is what you're telling me (laughs) yeah well i don't think it's cynical that's the problem the game is you know kind of cringy to me and mostly Mm. this is because of the i don't know if you know about the disney true life adventures 
Oh god, the ones that started the myth about lemmings committing mass suicide. <laughs> they didn't start it, but they definitely propagated it. Yeah. yeah as exactly. they chased them over cliffs, yes. Literally, yes. <laughs> and, and I I just see that oh, these are those kind of documentary teams. Mm-hmm. And I can't separate that from my view of this. Game. No, I get it. I get it. That is a little bit eh. especially when you get the VFX tile. That just <laughs> pushed it over but I mean the production's so nice. Oh, it's very pretty. Yeah, and I love the meeples. And the game is cute, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Problematic thematically for Frank. Yeah, totally. I will say apropos of nothing that if you want to see more amazing Earth documentary stuff by people who are doing it the right way. The BBC is currently running Planet Earth 3. Oh, and yeah. It oh. is so spectacular. If you have any interest in animal or nature photography, you need to watch that show. Not sponsored. All right, Joe, how about the next game to replace Terraforming Mars? It'd be weird to be sponsored by a documentary. <laughs> Shut up, man. If they have money, we'll take it. <laughs> if you're watching the documentary and you're like, hey, I want to play that as a board game. Might I suggest <laughs> Earth by Inside Up you. Games, designed by Maxime Tardif. In Earth, you are forming an ecosystem of plants. You have an individual kind of grid of cards that you'll be playing out that give you various bonuses. The game is, like many games that we're talking about today, is a giant group of point salad. On your turn, you will select a specific action and you will take kind of the primary of that action. You'll kind of get the bigger bonus, but everyone else will take a secondary form of that action, which allows them to do a lesser form of it. Like as a primary action, you might get some soil and some cards, and then everyone else will get to pick, do they want soil or do they want cards, right? As you lay out your cards into your tableau, they will give you kind of bonus abilities that will happen whenever anyone, including you, selects a specific ability. The cards have both the ability to grow tall, and they have these cute little tree meeples that have tree segments, and they're topped with like a little pine tree-shaped topper, as well as just generalized like sprouts, right? So like a bunch of like cubes you place on the cards, right? Indicating that they're just like breading growth as opposed to like upgrowing growth. And the game is really good. There's a couple of centralized scoring mechanisms, right? There'll be a couple of animals that are out. They direct you to specific things like, oh, you want to have X amount of this kind of card or Y amount of that kind of card. And whoever qualifies for them can kind of claim that they take ownership of it. Very similar to Terraforming Mars's titles, right? Medals? Whatever they're called. Milestones. Although there are multiple. So like the first person to do it gets 12 points and the right. second person gets nine and etc. You just get less points if you do it later, but you'll still get points for it. And... There's also like two centralized scoring things. So at the end of the game, you'll score based on two central scoring cards, which it might indicate that like, hey, desert biomes get a bonus or hey, you count the number of sprouts that you have or you count the number of trees that are really tall that you have. And then you'll also have your own personal score. So each person will have an individual scoring card and then these two shared scoring cards, which will help kind of reveal your final score, right? The game has a, Nice, fun, complicated end game scoring process mm-hmm. because there are points from functionally every direction, as far as I can tell. Yeah. It does a lot of things. Like when you're arranging your cards in a tableau, there are things that are like, well, you get points for all of the mushrooms that are adjacent to this card or all of the bushes that are in the same row as this card. So 
positioning your cards in your tableau is good. I really like this game. The photography and everything is gorgeous. It's really graphically well put together and well designed. The one problem I have is that one of the actions you can take is the grow action, where you basically put more cards onto your tableau. Mm-hmm. And the person who takes that action gets to plant two cards and everybody else gets to plant one. And the game ends when someone has filled up their four by four tableau. If a player starts, and I'm not calling you out, uh-huh. but I'm uh-huh. not, but if a player is to start rushing that and they just, I'm always taking the go action. They are basically forcing the game to play in a certain way. And you can't, you don't get enough energy to start work on understanding core and combos. It's just like, I just got to get points. Out. I just got to get cards out as fast as I can. And while that is effective from a game winning standpoint, it doesn't lead to a fun game, I think. Yeah, it was a weird setup that we got because like the starting abilities that I got, I had a double discount on a specific kind of card. And then the opening hand I received was like, cool, here's a bunch of those cards that you have a double discount on. So I could effectively grow without actually paying anything. And I was like, oh, okay, game. I guess I'm doing it. (laughs) Everybody was very salty about it. (laughs) Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and I think it's like sometimes there are games that will go that way. There are certainly people on the Geek, because there are always people on the Geek who are like, if you want to play optimally and have your best chance of winning the game, just play the grow action every turn. doesn't matter what anybody else does. And that might work. It makes the game much less interesting. Like, it's also weird because in order to do that, you have to put out stuff like the mushrooms that are not very high scoring. Because you can't afford anything else. Yeah, unless you have some good way to generate soil, which you need to plant your cards. Yeah. I think there is some weird balance between like the cards that are not inexpensive to play are not scoring enough cards to prevent somebody from being cool. I'm going to just play out stuff that is cheap Mm -hmm. and have a whole bunch of them Mm. and score a lot of points off of my cheap low scoring cards rather than somebody who's like, Hey, I have my redwood out and I'm going to try and make it maximum sized. And Oh, look, I didn't make enough points because I didn't do anything else. Right. So, you know, I haven't played it much yet. I want to play it some more because I still do enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it may be capable of firing terraforming Mars for me, but I'm curious to see how that evolves as we look at it. Cause I want to do neat combos. Don't hurry me. Next game on the list is one that everybody but me has been playing and having a great time with, and I'm not bitter, but I'm going to sit back and let somebody else talk about it, because I can't say anything because I don't know it. (laughs) Fine. It's uh, Earthborn Rangers came out in 2023, and the designers are Andrew Fisher, Brooks, oh gosh, (laughs) Welcome to the game. Brooks Flugar Levitt, Andrew Navarro, Andy Sandler, and Brandy Sadler. It's a co op game set in the wilderness of the far future. You take the role of a ranger, a protector of the mountain valley that you call home, a vast wilderness transformed by monumental feats of science and technology devised to save Earth from a destruction long ago. It plays from what from what it's been like playing with you guys. It plays like Arkham 
That's what Mike says. Oh, no, it, it's pretty much the mechanics of the game are, <laughs> hey, what if you mesh together Arkham Horror LCG and... A much better game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, what's the other game? Lord of the Rings LCG. Like, it is basically both of those put together. Huh, so it's Earth constantly punching you in the dick, but in a good way? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Punching me? God. Ugh. The way it started is we built our rangers, and you had different traits and cards. Yeah, well, first of all, you have, I don't know what they're... Attributes? Yeah, there we go. It's attributes. Is that what determines the energy that you have? I think that is energy, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so yeah, you have different attributes, and you'll have different amounts of energy that you can use based on that. So if you have your card, there'll be four colors, like blue, yellow, green and red, and those are the different types of energy. And depending on that attribute, maybe you'll have three of blue at all times, and two of green, and one of red, which, for different actions, makes you more efficient or better at it, possibly, than someone else in your group. So I chose to be the scout, so I have a lot of fitness, because I'm usually running... For your life. Two things are from things, yes. And so, for both situations... I just sit there and watch them because they're figuring out how to deal with actual problems where I'm like, you guys want to leave? You got, you guys want to leave? You guys are ready? Are we ready to leave? Your character's just perpetually bored with anywhere we go to. He's just like, we go. this sucks. <laughs> oh, God. This is this the place worst. Again? Uh, Jason's character? What's your character like? I'm an artificer. Yeah, my character's all about gear. So, like, I have the ability to... I have a lot of... Like, you have a limited amount of item storage. You can have, like, five squares worth of items. And mine's all about putting modifiers on those items. I can make those items way less for myself so I can have more gear out. It gives me a lot of flexibility, so I can kind of... You can use other people's items. I can use items. other people's items, which is probably the best card in the game as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But uh, I can also do things where I can give myself different types of energy from these energy canteens or whatever. It's it's all about like, hey, what do I need right now? How do I use my gear most effectively or take advantage of other gear that people have out? It definitely suits my playstyle. I love it. I just can't fight worth a damn. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have Joe's character? How would you describe your character, Joe? Uh, my character is the one who cares about the human connections we make along the way. Oh, God. Oh, my He's God. the one who walks around constantly saying, pet my dog. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> and then I became a lot more killy when I befriended a giant mountain cat who loves to murder things. <laughs> that you just make kill things for free. God. Yeah. Joe's basically Beastmaster. It's fine. Okay. Pretty much. <laughs> I already had a dog and a mongoose, and then I made friends with a giant death cat, and it went great. So you're the druid. Got it. No ferrets. I just... Mm. Uh, it might be a ferret, not a mongoose. Okay. No, Maybe. It's a ferret. I think we made that. Yeah, it is a ferret. Oh, yeah. It is a ferret. Yeah, it's his name, Kodo, and, and then his partner, Poto, is coming out soon. That's... <laughs> and then Mike. Mike is a wizard. I'm a wizard, and they are like the magicians of the universe. They mechanically can break a bunch of the rules by using their magic instead. Now, they do have a implement that they start each game with that is charged up by a different way. So, like, we have to shuffle the encounter deck, or every time that you, I don't know, meet a person. Frankly, I think I found the best one, but... I think I really like this, though, because the combinations of those classes can be mixed and matched, and then you could have two people that have similar abilities, but are completely different, which is very Arkham-like. 
Or you can make horrifying situations where there was a wolf that we couldn't get past until Mike changed it into a plant somehow. Yep. And then we ate oh, it. What? Oh, God, that's horrible. What are you <laughs> it doing? Was delicious. Magic is what I'm doing. <laughs> Jesus, okay. Has anyone seen the Netflix show Delicious in Dungeon? Yes. Yes. Just we checking. live in that land. We are definitely eating animals all the time. It's great. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> so you're kind of wandering around a map. And when you move from one location to another, you go on a specific type of path, right? So you might be going to Lone Tree Station, but you're going along a mountain to Lone Tree Station. So that when you get to Lone Tree Station, the card deck you'll be interacting with will be the mountain path plus the cards from Lone Tree Station, as an example. So that gives you a lot of sets up stuff in kind of an interesting way that like, you know, the location when you revisit them aren't always exactly the same. And various people, when you meet them and you befriend them by having them pet my dog, <laughs> they'll have quests for you to go off and do, right? So the game is kind of freeform. You encounter quests along the way. You go do them or you don't. You kind of do whatever you want. It's very much like you wander around and experience. It's a very experiential game. Mm-hmm. But when you encounter wildlife, whenever you take an action, you'll draw a card and it will have an emblem on it, and that emblem will activate things kind of in your play area and in the general play area. And, you know, if you activate a Predator card, it might look around to see if there are any prey, and if there's any prey, it'll attack them, put some damage on them, and if there aren't any prey, it might attack you, right? Like, the interactions happen off of the emblems, and cards very often, especially like Predators and Preys, will often interact with each other, and the same kind of animal might be like, hey, If you have a deer in front of you, then you pull another deer that someone else has to you as the deer kind of congregate together. So all those cards have some interesting interactions. Even things like the prey will eat any plant life we find, right? Mm -hmm. Represented by damage. So it's building out behaviors and an ecosystem based solely on the interactions drawn from that deck. And I do like that there are some missions that you'll get where it's like, hey, you need to go find a thing. And it is up to the players to know like, oh, cool. We've seen that thing in the mountain path. So we need to hit mountain paths, which could dictate where you move in between locations, which I do like. One big concern I have, though, and as much as I'm enjoying the game right now, I'm a little worried that the early portions of the campaign are so... like They are incentivizing you to do specific things and to go to specific places so heavily that that early campaign is going to be kind of a slog if you ever play it again. Which, like, theoretically, as a campaign game, you are playing it again. And I would love to, at some point, play it again with, like, hey, what happens if we make different combinations of characters? Mm -hmm. Or I know the next expansion that's been announced on what is GameFound is introducing two new character types. Hmm. Yeah, I'd definitely be interested in playing this again and perhaps building my character differently. Also, there. Do you guys feel like there's a large, and maybe maybe they mentioned this, but do you feel like there's a large emphasis on trying to solve problems peacefully or in a nonviolent way? Oh yeah, absolutely. And just the fact that they give you the option of doing so is more than most games give you. (laughs) True. Because uh, Arkham's mostly like, just murder everything. (laughs) Or run from it, murder it or run from it. Or run from it, yes. Yeah, and I think that is one of the differences between this and Arkham is like, If you just avoid things, like you said, the animals will just take care of each other sometimes, and that's certainly one way that you could do it. And I think the nice thing about that is that it means that in a four-player game, you don't have to have somebody who is specializing in attacking. 
Or you could not have somebody who is good at talking to people, although that feels because talking with people and interacting in a peaceful manner with the animals uses a similar stat. Mm -hmm. I think that is a little less incentivized. Hmm. I agree with that statement. So about how far through the campaign do you guys think you are? Well, it's like a 30-day campaign or something. There's a certain number of days where you, you basically yeah. determine how long your campaign is. And I don't know how many, day, how many days are we into that. Is We're it like the day third day or four. four or something? Oh, so wow. we're still pretty early. Yeah, we are still early days. Yeah, I mean, hmm? we're also trying to maximize our days as much as possible and stretch sure. our decks as long as they'll go. Like we've been to about a fifth of the total possible locations. We've been kind of in the north part of the valley. We haven't really headed south with any real distance yet. Mm -hmm. So the map is very big. There are lots of places in it. So yeah, gotta help that mom you're, find you're her You're gonna daughter. get your game. Done. <laughs> mm -hmm. So she stops stealing all Joe's stuff and breaking it. Oh yeah. On their website, they do have what they call one day missions, which are kind of like more, I would say, scripted. Like, here's a standalone adventure you could do in a single day. So might not be a bad way of learning the game, probably. Oh, okay. The new expansion, in addition to those characters, is also coming out with just a whole nother campaign, which I think has its own map. So that's nice. As yeah, well. so they, cool. they did announce, they just announced that the new campaign launches in two days. So... It's on GameFound. It's in like countdown mode right now. So so when you guys hear this, it will be available and you can go do the thing if you want to do the thing. Unfortunately, because this is a two-part episode, the GameFound has actually already closed by the time this airs. So hopefully you'll be able to get a late pledge if you're interested. Yep. On GameFound. Yeah. And then we all get points. Yep. <laughs> we don't get points from listeners, you guys. Dang. <laughs> And if you are interested in the deluxe resources, buy more than they claim you need. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. Yes. Absolute lie. <laughs> Especially for a four-player game. Yeah. I think it'd be fine if it were two-player. Oh my god, Probably. get playmats. Get playmats. They'll, they'll help you. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on for a couple of sessions. Like, I, what's my what's my discard pile? And what's the... What? Yeah, the game has an interesting mechanism where, like, you get fatigued. And there's a separately a discard pile and things can move between them. But like keeping track of them could be a little complicated, especially when you start playing. Okay. Interesting. Earthborn Rangers. Sounds like a very cool game that I will never play. I'll play it with okay. you, Brian. Just name the place and time. Mm -hmm. We'll see. <laughs> hey, how are you for alternate Saturdays? We'll be starting it. <laughs> after, uh, maybe. I'm in. After Tales of the Red Dragon in. All right, let's I'm in, let's, baby. let's talk let's about this after yeah. hours. Cool thing. Cool. Mike, you have a game on here that I've never heard of. Mm -hmm. This is one that I'm waiting to get right now. It should be shipping any day now. That is Redwood. It's a 2023 Kickstarter that I was late to the game on, which is why I haven't gotten it yet. But this is published by Sit Down Games and was designed by Christoph Raimbault. Mike, I think you're saying it wrong. It's sit down. There's an exclamation <laughs> point in there. No, it's sit down. There we go. <laughs> okay. And this, much like Wild Serengeti, is a game about wildlife photography. So you are shooting animals with your camera. Oh. Unlike Wild Serengeti, it is a game that is about photos, not video. So that's the only difference. There are no more. Everything else exactly the same, except... This is a, I don't want to say hidden movement, but it's like a templated movement game. Definitely not hidden. Yeah, definitely not Yeah, hidden. definitely not hidden. Yeah. It feels like a hidden because of the way that you do your movement, but it's at the start of your turn, 
you pick both a movement template and a camera template, and then you move your character around this round board that has six different habitats on it, five different habitats. And once you are finished moving, you place your camera template and you are trying to create photos with specific animals and plants on them. Every game has five like objective cards that will be scored. And so those are revealed as you go. Once you have moved and placed your camera template, you get a backdrop that is the direction that you're looking in. If that direction is towards the sun, you get a sun counter to show that you've got good light in that picture. And then you basically take a backdrop card, a panorama card, add it to the little panorama that you're making, and then you populate that panorama with the animals and plants that are in your photograph. And if there's one thing I love (laughs) in board games, it is any time that you can create a panorama out of cards, and it's the best thing ever. (laughs) But yeah, I'm really excited about this one. I don't know that this is going to be a game that I play with you guys. I don't think any of y'all are going to be anywhere near as excited (laughs) about it as I am. Ooh, 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 we'll play it. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Remember, I'm the one with Nessie. That's true. (laughs) It does actually feel a little bit like that with the movement, because all of the movement templates are like curved, but you clip them onto your character's base, and then you (laughs) rotate them around the base to see where you end up. You can't move through an animal, and you can't move through another player, and you can't go off the board, obviously. But like once you touch a template, you are committed. Like You cannot measure it. You just have to go with it. Yeah. No, it seems right up my alley as far as animals. Like, I'm looking at the minis here, and, like, from a distance, it looks like they're just all wielding bazookas. (laughs) (laughs) It's a telephoto lens. Shut up. It is a telephoto lens. It's a real giant lens, guys. (laughs) Oddly enough, I do have another game that is all animals and tanks. For Jason, we will totally need to do that. It's even got, like, obscure resin miniatures, and it's... No one's ever heard of this game. So I'm not even slightly surprised that you own that, Frank. <laughs> you know what? I bet I could get friend of the show, Andrew, to play this with me because he loves photography oh, yeah, that so. much. <laughs> Once you take a picture of an animal, though, it will then run off to one of its two favored habitats. So it's like things are moving around. And I think that might create a little bit of a timey-wimey situation where the state of the board is going to change every turn. And so it's just making the best of the situation that you are currently in. Yeah, I mean, all those games pretty much have that kind of model to it. So that's... yeah. Don't you check a picture of that squirrel right now. I need that squirrel right there. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Yeah. totally. Don't make any noise. (laughs) And you cannot place your camera template so that it overlaps another player because who the hell wants (laughs) to look at a photographer in their wildlife photographs? So, this seems right up my alley. Oh, yeah. Very cool. I'd be interested in giving it a try. What's the game where you, like, are searching for treasure? Treasure Island? It feels like the templates feel a little bit like that, which is, like, you're going to move, and then you're going to see what you can pick up with your camera, and hopefully you'll get the thing you want. (laughs) Yeah. Seems like it's going to be a lot of estimating distances with your brain. Yeah, and like I said, I'm not going to force y'all to play it, because that has never worked out. So, if you want to, you want to. And yeah, Sandy would be all over that too, so. Well, excellent. 
Sandy, Frank, and I will have a great time photographing all of our little squirrels. Yeah, sounds good. Here's another one that I think we've all been pretty into. Yeah, so speaking of Kickstarters, one that I have received from Pandasaurus Games, designed by Jeff Frazier and Elizabeth Hargrave, is the Fox Experiment, which is based on a thing that actually happened in real life, which is the reason I own this game is I'm so interested in the actual experiment that occurred in real human life. Tell us about it, Joe. You are Russians, because of course you are. And you have decided that you want to breed foxes for more curiosity and less aggression. And so on your turn, you will select a male fox and a female fox, and then you will breed them. And so each fox gives you a specific set of dice to roll, and you combine the mom and dad dice together and roll them. And then that determines what their offspring is. The game takes a place over generations. So in the first round, you'll get your two foxes. You'll make a fox or two. And then they will be in the display available for people to breed with them next turn. Each round, you get points if you have the most friendly fox, right? Based on a combination of a couple of different traits that are in the game. I think it's like spots and droopy ears and I remember what the other two bark. Are. Was it bark or something? Yes, barking and general adorableness. Adorableness, always adorableness. Spots, floppy ears, curly tails, and yipping or barking. And so, you know, it's a dice roller, right? So you roll a big old paw dice and then you have some tokens and some other things that can interact with the dice in some ways. And then you mark down on the card that you drew for the fox that you bred all of the symbols that you match, right? So every full symbol gets you one kind of mark on the card. As you get more marks, the animal will provide more dice in the next round. And you will also individually get these little tokens that are related to each of the four qualities that you can use to research improvements to your board, get additional dice to roll, breed more foxes at once, get more cards. So every round you get the opportunity to submit foxes to like a scoring card if they match, right? If they have enough spots and they have enough floppy ears, you can apply them to this specific card that you have in front of you and you can get more of them over the course of the game. Yeah, it, it's there's nothing really groundbreaking in the game, but it just feels very well put together. I love the idea of taking like the genes of the parents to generate the dice pool for what the offspring are like. It just makes sense intuitively. It's only five rounds, so it moves along pretty quickly. I quite like it. You largely play at the same time, right? Like a lot of the steps are everyone does this step together, mm -hmm. which is great for speed of gameplay. Bad for if you play with people who cheat. <laughs> Yeah, don't play games with people that cheat, folks. Yeah, just in general, don't, don't yeah, do that. General, general rule. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to give the alternate title like Jason did before of Butterfly Death March. This is Fox Eugenics. This is... <laughs> <laughs> it is literally Fox Eugenics, so... Yeah, the underlying experiment is just amazing because it's like we're taking these more or less wild foxes, we're trying to breed them for human friendliness, and as the generations go by, it turns out that not only are they becoming more friendly, they're developing traits that we associate with other domesticated animals. So there's like a physical link to it. It's just, mm -hmm. it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, they're just becoming more dog-like over time, which is wacky. Yes. Some actual science there is that there are, with domestication, what is called like infantile genetics, 
So things like floppy ears that you would see in baby foxes that just persist through adulthood, which is exactly what happened to dogs. So what they discovered is like, hey, it is possible to domesticate them, and like all these weird things that we weren't expecting happened, which is also why you can actually buy domesticated foxes. Now, they're still not great. I would not recommend having them in a house because they are still foxes and they're like more akin to domesticated cats than dogs. <laughs> but, you know, if you really like foxes, buy a Russian fox, apparently. This has been your science moment with Mr. Hanft. <laughs> and one point for Joe. <laughs> oh, you hadn't done this one yet? No, I have not. Weird. It's very good. It's this a is very totally good. my kind of game, though. Yeah. Very good game. For sure. The last one on my list, I say my list like I have my own list that you guys aren't part of. Uh, the last one Secret I'm introducing, list. yes, exactly, is a number called The Search for Lost Species, 2023 release from Renegade Game Studios, designed by Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett. And this is sort of a sequel to The Search for Planet X. You can see a lot of the same mechanisms in it as you can in that game, although the structure of it is very different. Basically, this is a deduction game in which you are all trying to find a particular lost species in the sort of Indonesia, New Guinea area. There's like six different species you can try. Basically, you have a hex board laid out in front of you, and there are a bunch of sort of known animals that are going to be out there somewhere. And they all have different rules for how they are laid out. So it's like there are lorikeets that are always in a four hex diamond pattern somewhere on the map. There are toads that are only in a space that doesn't have any animals next to them in at least two spaces and that kind of thing. And then somewhere in one of the hexes on this board is the missing thing you're trying to find, which also has its own rules for how it's, how it's placed. So basically you have to be traveling around the board searching for what animals are in hexes so you can try to figure out because you can't just say hey i'm going to the space is the lost bat species here you have to find all the things that are around it and then deduce where the missing species is it's very pretty you know it's got a colorful island board there's a little sort of cardboard boat thing that you can put your meeples in and sail along the shore to survey areas it's got some of the same clever ideas that you have in search for planet x where Whenever you take an action, it takes a certain number of time units, and whoever is farthest back on the time track has the next turn. So if you do a bunch of very short actions, you may get more turns than someone who does long actions, but they also get more information. It's app-driven, just like Search for Planet X, so you say, hey, here's the game seed that I'm in. I'm going to survey this space looking for toads. Is there a toad there? Yes, no, kind of thing. I'm a sucker for deduction games. I really like Search for Planet X. I'm looking forward to this one. I don't have my copy yet. One of the things that's really interesting about it is that it was done in collaboration with a group called Rewild that has basically been saying, all right, here's a bunch of species that we don't know if they exist anymore, and they're funding expeditions to try and find them. They've already found like a dozen species that, as far as anyone knew, were extinct. So it's a fascinating zoological and biological thing. It's also a cool game, so I'm looking forward to getting it out. It's interesting. Like I like Search for Planet X, but the board is very always strikes me as very plain, mm -hmm. and it definitely feels like they figured out a way to make a game like this look more visually appealing. Because like the board here is a lot more visually appealing, 
Right, yeah, Planet X is very stark. Yes. And this definitely has a lot more table presence from that perspective. Which is good. I mean, I'm I'm excited to try it. Excellent. You're in. And I think that brings us to Jason to take us home. Yep, yes. Unless Frank decides to add a last minute game. (laughs) Oh, wait, let me go look. No, no, don't do it. That's That's not a suggestion. No, Brian Sound loves really long episodes. It's his favorite. We, we got to yeah. get Frank's video game entry in. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, good point. Don't. Yeah. So the last one is a game that actually hasn't been released yet. It's Kelp. I need somebody. <sighs> Jeez. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Supposedly releasing in 2024. We'll see. It's a Kickstarter, so who knows. Going to be released by Wonderbow Games, designed by Carl Robinson. So Kelp is a two-player asymmetric game. You've got one player playing a shark. One player playing an octopus. So yes, it's Shark versus Octopus, the game. It's apparently taking place, and I'm just looking this up, it's called Kelp because it takes place in the Kelp Forests of False Bay in the Great African Sea Forest. It's pretty simple. The shark wants to eat the octopus. The octopus doesn't want to be eaten. Pretty simple when conditions there. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is, I think, the most relatable game setup <laughs> we've had all day. <laughs> yeah. But they play very differently. So the shark is playing kind of a tactical game where they're drawing dice out of a bag. If they get a blue die, that die can be used to place what they call currents on the board. If you place dice in ascending order on the board, because the board's kind of laid out in grids, you can move through these currents very rapidly. So if you had like a, a one, then a two, then a three, then a four, you could go through four sections at once instead of your standard movement. So it gets the shark the ability to move very, very quickly. If the shark draws a yellow die, it could take a search action. The octopus player will have put out these little blocks They'll have either like seashells or some form of sea life or even traps for the shark. (laughs) And one of the blocks will be the octopus itself, which is, of course, what the shark's trying to find and eat. So the octopus will have placed themselves somewhere. So these search die are how you find the octopus. And different areas of the board will have different values. So that die that you pulled has to have that value or higher to be able to search that location. Then the last kind of die is the red die. If you draw that, you can actually attack the octopus if you think you know where it is. So same idea. It has to be a certain value based on where you are on the board. If the block isn't flipped already, you do flip it. But this comes at some risk because if you do attack and it's not the octopus, you take that red die and you put it on what's called the hunger track. I think you have like seven spaces on the hunger track. If it ever gets to the top, shark dies of starvation. You're right. This is a very relatable game. The game ends horribly either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's happy at the end. <laughs> yeah, really. The shark is also using the blue and yellow dice once they've been used to what they call growth, which gives you special abilities. Every three dice you place gives you a new special ability that's unlocked for the rest of the game. So it should make your moving around and searching a little easier. That's kind of the shark's whole game. Find octopus, eat octopus. The octopus's game is either stay hidden the whole time until the shark starves to death, or there's also some food tokens on those blocks that he's putting out that he can eat. And I think if he eats four of them, he also wins the game. So it's a lot of, how do I move myself around and stay hidden? How do I play cards from my hand that will let me move things around so I'm not going to get found by the shark? And I think the other mechanic... So the octopus can place cards that let him reveal blocks and play some of the blocks that have special abilities on them. And they can move around basically swapping the octopus tile with another tile. They can hide, which is if a tile's been revealed, they can stand it up again and block it so the the shark doesn't know what it is. And then they can get more cards. So they have this learning capability where they can get more cards in their hand and have more variety. At some point during the game, the octopus is likely to be found, in which case a confrontation happens. 
and it looks pretty simple. Both sides have three cards. They're called confrontation cards. They will both play one face down. They flip them. If the shark card matches the color or the symbol, then the shark eats the octopus. If not, the octopus gets away, and both mm -hmm. cards are discarded. So the more that the confrontation happens, the more likely the shark will kill the octopus. Weird. It does say rules as written that every time the octopus gets away, the player has to shout, Ink Cloud! <laughs> <laughs> it's rules! <laughs> but yeah, this is a game that was on my radar from Gen Con. I was trying to track it down in like the new game area, but unfortunately I never managed to find it. But it just sounds really fun. I love asymmetric games. I think a two-player game with such different win conditions is kind of interesting. The mechanics sound pretty easy to pick up. I think once I get it on the table, it will be pretty easy to teach. Sounds very familiar. Sounds a lot like the shark is just Dracula. And yeah, the yeah. Is just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this looks great. I was this close to buying it. I just don't play two-player games enough to make yeah. it worthwhile. It looks tremendously fun. I'm a big fan of Octopi. They are, uh, sorry, Octopodes. <laughs> they are terrifyingly intelligent, and I'm really fascinated by this game. So I'll be happy to play it once you get it, Jason. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And I may wind up buying it, even if I don't get to play it much, because I love the idea. Brian, do you want to know my favorite octopus fact? What is your favorite octopus fact, Mike? They cannot stick to AstroTurf. <laughs> So that at, makes sense. At the okay. aquarium, the top of the octopus tank is lined with about two feet of um, astroturf oh, yeah. to stop it from crawling out. Yeah. There are so many amazing stories about octopodes in aquariums making the lives of their keepers miserable if they're not getting what they want. Or just straight up escaping to the ocean again. Yes, also that. They are just oh, yeah, crazy awesome. smart. It's great. A recent Mark Rober video has um, an octopus escape room. <laughs> Like an octopus-themed escape room or escape room for an octopus? An escape room for an octopus. Yeah, that's not surprising. That. that seems like that's just like in his wheelhouse. <laughs> they would be oh, yeah. all over that. I love it. Yeah. One other strange thing, and I've never had this happen in any sort of Kickstarter or, or any sort of you know crowd back thing. The actual creator had to send a notice out to all backers that people are selling counterfeit copies of this game that hasn't been released. <laughs> oh. Apparently it was on Amazon, eBay, something called Frugo that I've never heard of. But yeah, oh. I've heard of counterfeit games before because you saw it with like when Wingspan was really hot. Oh, sure. Earth, You'll see it yeah. for a bunch of games. But I've never seen oh, yeah. it before the game released. That's ballsy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Hey, y'all, the game isn't out yet. You can't buy it. Don't try to. No, no, no. We got an advanced copy. It's fine. <laughs> the best part is, like, the fake ones have Lego sharks in them. Like, it should be obvious. Oh, come on, people. Oh. I don't know. That might make it better. <laughs> Just so weird. Okay, you can wait a little bit. It's still available to back, for Pete's sake. No, I looked at one of the pictures on Board Game Geek, and I was like, that is a Lego shark. That <laughs> Yep, that is. Well, I think they were using the Lego shark for demos. Like, that was one of the things that was real popular, which is why they made a shark mini, because I think originally they weren't going to do that. Yeah. Well, everyone wants shark minis. I mean, come on. Who doesn't? All right. Well, I think that is our episode for the day. Uh, many exciting wildlife games. If there are favorites that you have out there that we haven't talked about, or if you just want to tell us that we're horribly wrong in some of our opinions, we would love to hear it. As usual, you can find us on AscentOfBoardGames.com or on Facebook or Blue Sky or various other social media type things. 
We'd always love to hear more from you. We always love to get those iTunes reviews. If you enjoy the show, tell a friend. If you don't enjoy the show, just quietly download it and then delete it. <laughs> you, should, you should tell a friend still, even if you don't like it. Tell a friend that you don't like it. Don't tell them you don't, oh, yeah. don't well, tell I mean, them you don't like they, it. They need to investigate why you don't like it. And then you yeah, let, allow them to listen to all the episodes and make yeah. a decision themselves. Exactly. Let me tell you all about this podcast I hate. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've talked about games we hate, so it's really only fair. Oh, yeah, true. Happy February, everyone. We will talk to you again next month. Bye. Bye. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast, and thank you for listening. Interestingly, not that Board Game Geek ratings make that much difference. I was going to sneeze, and then I did. And then I did.